at SAFM Radio and at Mesh Constant on SAFM. You are indeed with the Jet Set Breakfast and today we are going to do something different. Walking for pleasure and solace is probably the most ancient gift that our body gives us. And in South Africa we have the Drakensberg Mountains, the Whale Trail, Tsitsikama and many more. And in a time of COVID, hiking, trail running and breathing in our magnificent landscape seems to be the right thing to do. Now recently I was able to take time out and walk the 60-kilometer Green Mountain Trail through the Feinbos of the Groenlandberg in the over region in the Western Cape over four days. Alison Green is the founder of the trail and she describes what those four days entail. So the Green Mountain Trail gets its name from and centers around the Grunlandberg, which is a, a mountain of 1100 meters high. So it's a consecutive trail in that you start at one point and go back almost exactly to this to the same point the next morning to continue and you walk around the mountain for four days. The first day is probably the toughest. You walk at the top along the ridge of the of the Grunlandberg, right through the core of the Kuchelberg Biosphere, which is a great um, privilege. And then on the second morning we are fortunate enough to walk on the wine farms of Oak Valley and Port Kluver. When you when we walk on the wine farms of Oak Valley and Port Kluver, we walk and to the right are the vineyards, the cultivated lands are below us, and above are the areas with which they have kept in um, natural vegetation. And those are mostly contour paths, obviously some elevations, you eventually have to come down off the mountain, but a very beautiful single track park all along the base mm. of the Grunlandberg. On the third day, which we did today, you do the the Hohukberga, a beautiful Cape Nature path, which also mostly single track, high above um, the Hohuk Valley. At the end of that, we leave again the following morning from Hohuk Valley down to the town of Beaumont, but through the clover of um, the end of the Hohuk Range. And yet walking and developing green tourism requires a massive ecosystem of engagement. Private sector, public sector, civil society all get involved. Over the last couple of years, the region has suffered some major fires impacting on the Feinbos growth. Conversely, though, fire is critical for the growth of the Feinbos. Monique Rothenberg is Cape Nature's conservation manager of both Jonkershoek Nature and Hottentots Holland Nature Reserve. Feinbos needs fire. To thrive. So that's the very first thing. And of course, the area that we're in, the, uh, the Feinbos Kingdom, with the biodiversity, it, we can only be rich in biodiversity uh, if we use fire as a management tool. Mm. The trick is not to burn too often. And I suppose you could put it in sort of a, a generalization, uh, which is 12 to 20 years, most people will tell you. Yeah. And that's based primarily on your proteas, okay, which is critical for yeah. Feinbos. Um, Feinbos being, of course, your, your grouping of proteas, ericas and restias yes. primarily. Now, you use your proteas and your slowest growing proteas. They need to at least flower four cycles before you have your next big fire. And that is to ensure that you've got enough seeds going back into the environment. So if we look at that, and Groenlandberg in particular, we've got rare protea, yeah. protea stokoi. Yeah. And research has shown us that 
that protea, we need to keep fire out at least 17 years for that population to flourish. That difficulty comes in with so many communities around us. Yeah. And most of our fires, 90% plus of our fires, yeah. are human-induced. Either through purposefully igniting a fire yeah. or just negligence. So as soon as you've got a lot more people in the environment, your chances of fire increases. And the problem that we're facing at the moment is that a lot of our areas are only between 9 and about 12 years of age. And it's fine if you sort of have it, you know, now it's 9 years old and then for 20, 25 years it doesn't burn. But that's not what's happening. It's burning every second year. Every it's year. burning often. And as soon as it burns too often, immediately your proteas you lose. So your fanwall structure changes. Your vegetation becomes a lot more grassy, which is a flash fuel, mm. which of course makes it easier next time for the fire to ignite and the fire to run. Yeah. So the reality is we have, we have a robust uh, fire management strategy mm. and we have annual updates and we have highly trained staff that have to be equipped. Yeah. We have partnerships, for instance, um, working on fire is one of our partners. Mm. We have um, relationships and agreements signed with uh, fire protection agencies. Uh, we have pre-fire season audits. We have post-fire season audits. Now, I mention all of these because they're part of the plan. There's preparation, there's planning, there's equipping your people. And then there's the actual strategy of identifying where are my hotspots. Now, hotspot yeah. is your areas that have high ignitions, yeah. high numbers of ignitions. So that's a hotspot. And then we identify also what we call ecologically sensitive areas. Yeah. So those areas that we don't want to burn in the next year or two years. And we overlap them. Yeah. And we say, if we have a fire in this area, we throw everything at it. We throw in our people, our partners, our local farmers. We throw the choppers come. Yeah. You know, if we need to bring teams in from the Eastern Cape, we bring them. It's proactive and it's a reactive system. Beforehand, we also look at our firebreak systems. Where do we need strategic firebreaks? How wide must those firebreaks? Exactly. We look at maintaining those firebreaks. We look at maintaining those roads because a firebreak is only as good as the road that goes to mm. the firebreak because your firebreak, it reduces your fuel load and it allows us access if we needed to do what we call a backburn or yes, a burnout. Yeah. It allows us to do that. But you can only do that if you've put those things in place. The tourism sector operates as a massive value and supply chain, a diverse ecosystem of players supporting one another. And critical for Cape Nature is the support they give to and get from the private farmlands. The owners are all members of the Groenlandberg Conservancy, and they do that in an effort to conserve the environment and promote responsible tourism. Dr. Paul Kluver of the Paul Kluver Wine Estate in Elgin has been working tirelessly both in the creation of the conservancy of the natural areas, but also with the Fire Protection Agency, a private sector project. He met with us on the top of the mountain where we did the interview looking over mountains, Feinbos and wine and fruit farms in the distance. The conservancy is a organisation that uh, consists of neighboring farms that uh, feels that it's important to conserve a natural area and are then prepared to work together. It's a voluntary organization, so you, you cannot force people to 
um, you know, to do alien clearing or to spend money or, yes, you, you can only do it by talking to them and getting them excited and so on. Um, what helps a conservancy significantly, like in everything, if it's more than just conserving, but that people actually get some financial benefit out of it? Yeah. So, so if, if you go to all those lodges next to the Kruger Park, they form a conservancy and it's about how they're managing visitors and how they, uh, the rules about allowing people on neighboring land and all of that. Yeah. Then there's a strong business incentive. If you go to something like Cedarburg, there's also... A, a strong business incentive because the majority of people there are dependent on visitors yeah. and walking and, and so on. So what's your business incentive or at least value incentive here? Well, the business incentive is significantly less. Yeah. There hasn't traditionally been tourism in this valley and there hasn't traditionally been wine in the valley. And... Um, Apple farmers are not necessarily enthusiastic about people visiting and looking at their trees. But wine changes your perspective and tourism changes your perspective. And that's why wine and tourism go well together. And uh, <laughs> that's why the, the current situation with tourism is bad for wine and tourism. Dr. Kluver, the, the Fire Protection Agency, your role there and how you see that shifting things? I think we're the only fire protection association, certainly in the Cape, yeah. I'm not talking about people who are in forestry, yeah. where our membership fees cover our cost, yeah. which, um, yes, and I think that's due to good service and good cooperation between the, uh, the fire service and the fire protection people. Yeah. And it's about voluntarily getting people to cooperate and to be aware of risk and to manage risk. And I think that's, that's working. I think about five years ago, through an organization that is involved in nature conservation and so on, mm. uh, I think there's a commercial organization, NCC, we ap applied for alien clearing of the Groenlandberg mm. and part of the Kuchelberg to Department of Environmental mm. Affairs. And they were, that works on the basis that it's, uh, they put in two thirds of the money and the landowners put in a third. And they've, they enormously, uh, it's, it's uh, part of the people, the funding comes via extended public works. So they have to comply, which kind of takes people with experience out of it. It makes it difficult. Then they have to be trained and there's health and safety and there are all sorts. Actually, so I think it's taken us five years and the guys have just started. So I've got currently, I've got, I've got about 60 people here that are doing clearing. I mean, we've got uh, five teams of, of 12. Yeah. And they're clearing here and in Oak Valley. And it, so the area that you've walked through are all uh, allocated and it's a three-year uh, 
project where the Fruitways, uh, Oak Valley and ourselves each have committed for to funding for three years, yes. a third of the, the total cost. Managing it is very challenging and costly. Yeah, it still works. And people get uh, a little bit of income and they keep busy and they're not starving. So, and there, there's something positive in that. Yeah. Okay, so I've got one more question for you. I want you to describe for our listeners where you are. We, we're sitting on the edge of a precipice where millions of years ago we had a major movement, geological movement, and so we're sitting under a rock arch, which uh, uh, we have to be careful that it doesn't roll on us because it is very intricately balanced. Um, and around us we're seeing Feinbos that is in very spectacularly recovering from a fire nearly two years ago, yeah. Um, and, and it's actually looking very good. Dr. Paul Cleaver of the Paul Cleaver Wine Estate in Elgin. And yet, even as we talk fire on the Green Mountain Trail in the area, I saw more water on the mountain than I've seen in years. In the distance, the Tiavata Dam was sparkling. Streams were trickling and gushing down the mountain with that beautiful Coca-Cola-coloured water. I asked Monique Rothenberg about the fire and water cycle. So water on the mountain. Yes. You may recall 2017 was a very difficult year. Yeah. We had hectic droughts. <laughs> water is a funny thing because it's both good for the environment and it impacts our feinbos yeah. and it impacts fires. It's sort of a bit of a push and pull if you yeah. think about it yeah. because water is absolutely critical for the environment to flourish and yeah. things to grow. And after a fire... You need water to stimulate regrowth. Yeah. However, if you get too much water all at the same time, after a fire, you get erosion problems. Mm. So you need, over the next six months to eight months, you need a steady supply of just that water that soaks in. Mm. So your seeds are stimulated. You've got this great biodiversity. And you would have seen it now when you're walking. Everything seems to be flowering. Yeah. And that's great because when it flowers, you've got your pollinators that are coming in. Yeah. And that's just helping spreading yeah. everything. And it's pollinating the flowers. And So it's this, it's this really amazing cycle. But what also happens when you have a lot of water, which means a lot of growth, and it's a, it's a growth spread. Bird. And then you have a really hot, windy summer. You're still going to have quick running fires. That's Monique Rothenberg of Cape Nature. And when we come back from the break, we're going to go to a singing guide. The Jet Set Breakfast with Michelle Constant. I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall and the major lift. The baffled king composing hallelujah, hallelujah. 
You are with the Jet Set Breakfast, and recently I was able to take time out and walk the 60-kilometer Green Mountain Trail through the Feinbos of the Groenlandberg in the Overberg region in the Western Cape. And uh, as we hiked, one day, two day, three day, through that third day, through the silence, through the sound of the crickets, the sound of the breeze, the rustling Feinbos, the call of the Varro Eagle, it was the singing of our field guide, Jeffrey Michael Grunewald, that kept my tired legs going as we finally circled down back into the gardens of the Wildekrantz country house. The 200-year-old farmhouse is an ex- excellent mix of history and contemporary 90s South African art. I asked Alison Green about that. So the homestead is more than 200 years old. It was built in 1811. It's a traditional farmhouse. When we moved here 21 years ago, we couldn't really visualize how we would settle into it. And we set about countering the old history with contemporary South African art. And we arrived with a small collection of art But in the 21 years, we have invested in specific pieces that are strong enough to stand up against the Hohok Mountains in the garden and that are strong enough to fit into the homestead with old Cape Dutch furniture and um, high ceilings. Hohok Valley is, I think, unique in that it's a small village, which is a 45-minute drive to Cape Town International. But in the village itself, there are probably about 10 families that live here. And we all live at the basin of the Pohook Mountains with a unique opportunity where our gardens lead into the Kuchelberg. So we're surrounded by an enormous natural environment. Yeah, in this valley, you definitely feel dwarfed by that natural environment. Yeah, so the art, for us, it adds a particular layer because you have the natural environment and then you have the very ordered gardens, which in themselves are attractive. You have the history of the property. And then we've worked at the South African collection, which is of great interest to foreigners who don't know South African art and then of great interest to many South Africans collect art themselves. Some would like to collect Inside the homestead, they're all large contemporary pieces, I would say a meter wide and maybe one and a half meters high. And again, influenced greatly by that time in Johannesburg of the 90s, Simon Stone, Deborah Bell, William Kentridge, Robert Hodgins. Those are the people that we were drawn to and we've continued to collect along those lines. The poet David White writes, I promised myself to the mountain and to the foundation from which my future comes. In hiking the Green Mountain Trail, I felt gifted by the incredible diversity of our biosphere, the diversity of plant and animal life. I think it's a gift that we need to protect and take stewardship of. It's also a gift from which we can learn. Indeed, it is the foundation from which our future comes. Our guide, Geoffrey Grunewald, explains further. In natural systems in general, it's been found that the rule is the more diverse a system is, the more productive it is. There's several ways of measuring it. It's normally measured as a rule of thumb in biomass or the amount of living material that's produced. In more specific terms, it can be measured in the amount of services that a particular environment can offer or a particular ecological system. So, Probably a simple example would be to think of something like a pine forest. Uh, 
and we have our pine plantations and one of the reasons we are concerned with pine trees is that they become invasive and they transform the natural landscape into a pine plantation environment. So in a system like that, even in a natural system, you'd have your pine trees, normally not too much else growing in between them, and then you'll have your animals that are adapted to that system. It's normally not a very diverse system, and it tends to produce only a few services, or natural services as it were. So you can think you have wood from the trees, you have pine nuts, you have certain animals that could be eaten, and you might have one or two other plants in between that may give you some other useful product from a human perspective. And that's really about it. But then if you think of something that's a bit more diverse, where you have berry bushes, you have nut-producing trees, you have tuberous plants, and then you have all of the animals associated with that, you then also have bees because of flowers that they can pollinate, unlike pine trees that are wind-pollinated. So then you have the pollination service that that particular system offers. You'll have animals that you can eat. The water systems also tend to be more or better managed in a diverse system, as it were. Uh, erosion prevention is also often offered better in a diverse system with multiple plants covering the ground. And that's generally been found that the more diverse a system is, the more services it offers, the more productive it is as a whole. And those systems are generally seen as healthier, although we do obviously understand that natural systems, like a natural pine forest, is also a natural system. But in certain areas where it shouldn't occur naturally, we see it as a almost degrading the system when it takes over and converts it into this much more sterile environment. And we can learn about that in society. The more diverse our systems are, the more productive we are as well. You can find out more about the Green Mountain Trail on the website www.greenmountain.co.za. And as we think about supporting local tourism this December and going into the new year, Put on your hiking boots, your running shoes, your tackies, and we say, why not just start walking? There is fire on the mountain, and nobody seems to be on the run. Oh, there is fire on the mountain top, and no one is running. And that's how we close our second hour. It's nine o'clock. It's time for the news. Good morning.